Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen of Calvary Chapel Pearland. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life if you give your heart and believe what He's done for you. You'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for life. I remember one time watching a Sylvester Stallone movie. And the bad guy got in front of him and said, you're going down, you're going down for this. And Stallone later gets the last word. He says, you remember when you said I was going down? Well, you're the one that's going down. Today in 1 Kings 14, we're going to see that Jeroboam is going down. So 1 Kings 14, verse 1. At that time, Abijah, the son of Jeroboam, became sick. And Jeroboam said to his wife, please Arise and disguise yourself, that they may not recognize you as the wife of Jeroboam, and go to Shiloh. Indeed, Ahijah the prophet is there, who told me that I would be king over this people. Also take with you ten loaves, some cakes, and a jar of honey, and go to him. He will tell you what will become of the child. And Jeroboam's wife did so. She arose and went to Shiloh, and came to the house of Ahijah. But Ahijah could not see for his eyes were glazed by reason of his age. Now the Lord had said to Ahijah, Here is the wife of Jeroboam, coming to ask you something about her son, for he is sick. Thus and thus you shall say to her, for it will be, when she comes in, that she will pretend to be another woman. So he told her to go to Shiloh, and that's where the old tabernacle was at before the temple was made. And so even though Ahijah was blind, He could still see better than Jeroboam could. You know, Jeroboam could not see God's ability to expose his wife's identity. It's funny how people of faith can see better than unbelievers can, even if they're blind as a bat. Now, I'm wondering that since Ahijah had once brought him good news, hey, you're going to be king, I think that's what Jeroboam was going by here. Hey, he's the guy that gives me the good news. Let's go to Ahijah. He always tells me what I want to hear. And so I'm thinking maybe that's why Jeroboam sent his wife to talk to him, because maybe he felt like he could trick Ahijah into giving them a blessing. So forget what the prophet said in chapter 13 about the warning of of damages that were coming, that God's judgment was coming. No, let's try to fool Ahijah. Dress up in a disguise, pretend that you're somebody else. Let's try to trick him, okay? Because we want to get what we want. You can see how Jeroboam was trying to manipulate God's man, God's prophet. And so Jeroboam sent his wife with gifts, perhaps to coerce Ahijah into what he wanted, maybe as somewhat of a bribe. I mean, I kind of see that track record running with Jeroboam. He tried to buy people off before. So Jeroboam, 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 that's a good one. (laughs) Put the Jeroboam on him. (laughs) Guys, that just hit me. Remember that. Jeroboam, (laughs) he thought he could buy whatever he wanted. So let's see what happens. First Kings 14, 6. 
And so it was when Ahijah heard the sound of her footsteps as she came through the door, he said, Come in, wife of Jeroboam. (laughs) Why do you pretend to be another person? For I have been sent to you with bad news. Okay, wait a minute. Hang on. What just happened here? Ahijah said that he'd been sent to her. She's the one that showed up. She's the one that made the trip. Now, this is a very interesting story here because liars and schemers, they can never take advantage of God's people. It actually works the other way around. Ahijah had a message for her to send back to Jeroboam, but instead of sending an old blind man all the way to Jeroboam, God had her come to him for the purpose of giving her bad news to send back. Don't worry about those who manipulate people and they play their crazy games trying to get something out of you. You just stay close to God's word and do what it says. God will not let them use you. He will use them. And so since Jeroboam is the one causing all the trouble here, God spared Ahijah the trip. If you look at it, he spared Ahijah the mileage. (laughs) The man's old. He's blind. He can't see. Instead of making Ahijah do the trip, he made her do the trip. Jeroboam's wife had to take all the mileage on herself. So what's the bad news? Here it comes. First Kings 14, 7. Go. Tell Jeroboam, thus says the Lord God of Israel, because I exalted you from among the people and made you ruler over my people Israel and tore the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to you. And yet you have not been as my servant David, who kept my commandments and who followed me with all his heart to do only what was right in my eyes. But you have done more evil than all who were before you. For you have gone and made for yourself other gods and molded images to provoke me to anger and have cast me behind your back. Therefore, behold, which means look, check this out. I will bring disaster on the house of Jeroboam and will cut off Jeroboam, every male in Israel, bond and free. I will take away the remnant of the house of Jeroboam as one takes away refuse until it is all gone. Oh God. God basically just told him, you're going down. God said he was taking Jeroboam out like the trash, like refuse. But the original text, if you go to Blue Letter Bible and look up that original text for refuse, that's actually the word dung. I think God just called him a piece of you-know-what. It sounds like it to me. Now, this is very extreme uh, well, I, to, to think, well, gosh, God would say something like that. He just did. Very extreme. But don't forget, God sent a prophet to warn him first before all this. Now, since Jeroboam, still after the warning, tried to cast God out, then in turn, God said, I'm going to cast you out. I will bring disaster on your entire family. And since Jeroboam had deliberately willfully led God's people away from worshiping him at the temple in Jerusalem the way God wanted to be worshiped, then God said he would cut off all the males of Jeroboam's line, which would bring Jeroboam's family to an end because without males in the family, you can't continue the family line. It would bring his family to an end. No family, no dynasty, no continuing kingdom. It would all come to an end, you're going down. First Kings fourteen eleven. 
The dogs shall eat whoever belongs to Jeroboam and dies in the city, and the birds of the air shall eat whoever dies in the field. For the Lord has spoken. Arise, therefore, go to your own house. When your feet enter the city, the child shall die, and all Israel shall mourn for him and bury him, for he is the only one of Jeroboam who shall come to the grave. Because in him there is found something good toward the Lord God of Israel in the house of Jeroboam. This one thing was going to be what the child could offer that was good for the Lord, his death. It would start the judgment process that was going to be good for for the kingdom, for, to start getting Israel looking towards turning back. Now, in those days, he's, you know, he said the dogs were going to eat the, the dead there. In those days, dogs were not the cute, cuddly little creatures that we all have today. Dogs were regarded as wild, low, insulting animals. And for Jeroboam's family to be devoured, eaten up by dogs and birds of the air, that was the worst, most terrible disgrace that could possibly happen. And so the Lord communicated in the harshest terms known to man what he was going to do to Jeroboam's family for the sin that he put them through. You see how angry, how serious the judgment is for causing people to sin and turn away. But the first round of this judgment would be that right when Jeroboam's wife reached home, their son would die. Now, when God pronounces a judgment, when Ahijah pronounced this judgment, the child dying, that's a validation that the rest of the judgment was really going to come. If you remember the prophet in the previous chapter, he said all this judgment's coming. The verification that his prophecy was true was the fact that the altar would split open. This here, the child's death, was going to be verification proof that this prophecy, this coming judgment, was actually going to happen. 1 Kings 14, 14. Moreover, the Lord will raise up for himself a king over Israel who shall cut off the house of Jeroboam. This is the day. What even now? For the Lord will strike Israel as a reed is shaken in the water. He will uproot Israel from this good land which he gave to their fathers and will scatter them beyond the river because they have made their wooden images, provoking the Lord to anger. And he will give Israel up because of the sins of Jeroboam, who sinned and who made Israel sin. Okay, Jeroboam's family would be judged soon. We saw that. That was the bad news that he said to Jeroboam's wife. But Israel would also get their own judgment as well. They're going to get a new leader that's going to shake everything up. A new king was going to come and shake them, bringing great instability to the land. God was about to install bad leadership. I need you to hear me. Please don't miss this. God literally said he was going to install bad leadership for a nation to cause instability strictly for the purpose of judging an unrepentant nation of Israel. We have that going on today. All the mess you see going on in the world today, bad leaders, crazy leaders doing weird stuff. There's judgment in that because the world's not repenting. But notice in verse 16, It says that the Lord will give Israel up. Now, this does not mean that God was going to walk away from Israel forever because he still had covenant to uphold with them. Remember, God had told Abraham that his descendants would be blessed forever. When you're blessing them forever, you can't give up on them because once God makes a promise, he's bound to keep what he said. And so he's going to bless them forever. 
and he can't break the covenant. And so we've seen God, though, back off of Israel before. We've seen him give them up. He backed off Israel. He gave them up to Egypt. The Israelites were in Egypt for 400 years. He also gave them up to Babylon for a very long time as well. I almost said Babylon because that is a long time. I think it's, you know, 70 some odd years. Babylon, <laughs> the Jeroboam, anyway. He gave them up to Babylon for a long time. Now, it's kind of like when your kids, they want to do something that you keep telling them over and over and over again is wrong. Don't do this. You should not do this. And so you just finally get to a point where all your warnings don't seem to be working. You have to bring in some discipline. You have to let the consequences speak louder than you do because they're obviously not listening to you. So now you got to bring in some consequences of what they're doing wrong. But when you bring in the consequences and the discipline, that does not mean you kick your kids out of the street, out on the street, kick them out of your house forever and tell them they can never go home again. And you say, forget about them. And you don't have kids anymore because by covenant, you are bound to them as their parents. God was bound to the Israelites as their father. And so this verse 16 act of giving them up, he said, it was not permanent but it was necessary for the judgment of their sin, the consequences that God was going to bring into them. The difference between Jeroboam's judgment and Israel's judgment is that Jeroboam and his line was going to get cut completely off. They're going to be gone. They're out of here. But Israel's line was not. God had different, better covenant with Israel than what he ever gave to Jeroboam. Jeroboam's covenant The offer that the Lord gave him up front was conditional. God said, if you do what I say, I'll carry you a long way from here. But Jeroboam blew it, okay? So different terms were given, different consequences are coming. Jeroboam's going down, Israel's going down, but not forever. 1 Kings 14, 17. Then Jeroboam's wife arose and departed and came to Terzah. When she came to the threshold of the house, the child died. And they buried him, and all Israel mourned for him according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke through his servant Ahijah the prophet. Okay, it happened. You know, Jeroboam's wife must have had an agonizing trip going back home because she knew that her son was going to die as soon as she got back. Jeroboam's son was going to be dead. And so Ahijah's prophecy began to take effect immediately, right away. Now, this was a short-term judgment here because this was quick. This is kind of like the validation of the starting of the next things that are going to happen and the passages that we're about to see. The long-term effects of God's judgments would begin. 1 Kings 14, 19, the death of Jeroboam. Now, the rest of the acts of Jeroboam, how he made war and how he reigned, indeed, they are written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel. The period that Jeroboam reigned was 22 years, so he rested with his fathers. Then Nadab, his son, reigned in his place. Jeroboam was always picking fights. He was the big bully down the street that just wanted to fight all the time, and he fought mostly with Judah simply because Jeroboam was a God-hater. You know, there's a lot of people that try to look religious. Jeroboam was looking religious. He made these altars and doing all this stuff, but it was for golden calves. But he was messing with God's line, Judah, the line that the Messiah, the line of David, that where Jesus Christ would come through. He was a God-hater. And remember, Jeroboam's name actually meant he that opposes the people. That was his very name. 
you imagine if you show up, hey, he that opposes the people, how are you doing? He was known for this. And even this God-hater was given an offer by God himself in chapter 11. If you, He said, if you obey me, Jeroboam, if you do what I tell you to do, then God promised to give him an enduring family. Well, now Jeroboam pretty much blew it. It's done, and judgment's going to come, and Jeroboam was killed, okay? But notice how Jeroboam ruled for 22 years. That's actually quite a long time for a guy that was doing everything wrong. The Bible mentions other kings that did, they were knuckleheads too. They barely made it a year or two before they died off. And so when you see the length of Jeroboam's reign of 22 whole years, that shows us that he was quite a powerful guy. He was no pushover. He was a strong dude. But he did not die of old age. God took him down. And so Jeroboam's severe fall here, it shows us a big lesson to learn. And what it shows us is that no matter how big you think you are, no matter how long you've been doing it, you're away. I've been doing this a long time. I know what I'm doing. doesn't matter. And it doesn't matter who you are. When you sin against the Lord, he can and he will bring you down. And so Jeroboam died. And his son, Nadab, succeeded him, 1 Kings 14, 21. And Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, reigned in Judah. Rehoboam was 41 years old when he became king. He reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city which the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. His mother's name was Nama, an Ammonitess. Now Judah did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they provoked him to jealousy with their sins which they committed, more than all that their fathers had done. For they also built themselves high places, sacred pillars, and wooden images on every hill and under every green tree. And there were also perverted persons in the land. They did according to all the abominations of the nations which the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. Things getting bad around here. All the kings of Israel, the ones after Rehoboam, they reigned in Jerusalem because that's where the Lord God chose to put his name, it says. When you go to an art gallery and you see a masterpiece painting and it just catches your eye and you've got to look at it, man, this thing's great. Who did this? The next thing you do. You start looking for the artist's name in the picture because the artist places his name somewhere in the painting. So when you look at all of creation, this whole world, the universe, you look at through telescopes to distant galaxies far away and all the all the, the grand vastness of creation, if you want to find out who did it, your eyes will eventually fall on Jerusalem. You'll see God's name there because that's this is all his work. He chose to put his name there like an artist when he does a grand creation, a grand masterpiece work. You want to know who the Lord God is? You just look at Jerusalem, look at all their history and everything that's gone down with the Israelite people, with the Jews. You'll find out who God is real quick by looking where he placed his name. And so Rehoboam's mother, Nama, she was one of Solomon's foreign wives that Solomon was not allowed to marry. The Lord God warned him, if you intermarry, with non-Israelites, you'll pick up their pagan traditions and you'll follow after their gods. And that is exactly what was going on. That's the whole problem here because they built 
shrines and high places and pillars all over the place that got it was taking worship away from the Lord, and the Lord does not share in that with any other false god. Nama was not an Israelite. She was an Ammonitess. And I believe the reason why she gets a special mention here in Scripture is because being an Ammonite, she was probably responsible for a lot of the paganism that dear old son Rehoboam pushed out to all the nation of Israel. And so it caused people to do evil. It caused people to become perverted in doing things that the Israelites' enemies had done, it says. You know, I bet you Joshua would, he would have rolled in his grave if he knew that Israel would one day be acting exactly like the pagans that they had to throw out of the land when they came in to take it. You know, it really makes you consider just how much patience the Lord God has that he made a covenant with Israel, knowing beforehand that they were going to end up behaving like this. That's amazing patience, amazing grace from an amazing God. 1 Kings 14.25 It happened in the fifth year of King Rehoboam that Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem, and he took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. He took away everything. He also took away all the gold shields which Solomon had made. Now, Shishak, he's the guy that allowed Jeroboam to stay with him. Why do you think all these golden calves are going on? Because he picked that little crazy thing up out of Egypt when he stayed with Shishak. Apparently, Shishak wanted to dominate Israel for Egypt. And in verse 26, where it says he took away all the treasures of the house of the Lord, That means Shishak plundered the temple. He took away a lot of the treasures in there. Many people assume that this means that the Ark of the Covenant itself was stolen away by Shishak. And this is where you get the beginning of the script for Raiders of the Lost Ark, because in that movie, they actually mention Shishak. If you listen to them discussing Indiana's new mission that he has to go do, they talk about Shishak taking the treasures of the temple, assuming that the ark had been taken so that Indiana Jones has to go and find it again. (laughs) Neat little trick there, but never trust Hollywood because the Bible actually says the last guy known to be around the ark was King Hezekiah, and he didn't come along until 200 years later after Rehoboam's time. So just don't trust movies and TV, okay? Read your Bible. <laughs> I've talked to people about Jesus. You know the gospel? Oh, yeah, I saw the movie. And they, they tell you all this movie stuff. Guys, you got to read the book. Read the Bible. It's better than the movie. Good, good night. So read it. We do know that Shishak took Solomon's golden shields away, as we read. And I just, I'm glad we got on this side of the story. Because do y'all remember, I actually concentrated on those shields back in 1 Kings 10, verse 16, King Solomon made 200 large shields of hammered gold. 600 shekels of gold went into each shield. He also made 300 small shields of hammered gold with three minas of gold in each shield. The king put them in the palace of the forest of Lebanon. This palace of the forest of Lebanon, that was King Solomon's armory where he kept all the weaponry stuff at. Now, just how good does a golden shield do in battle when you think about it? Gold is very heavy and very soft. 
you for listening to Set for Life. We hope you can join us next time, unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen of Calvary Chapel Pearland. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set